1: Hi, this is George Buzza, the voice of Beast in the X-Men animated series. You're listening to The Marvelists, Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson.
2: Welcome everyone to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode and introducing our very special guest, we want to tell you all at home how you can get a hold of us on them, our social medias. At home, at work, in the car. Thanks for the ride. Go. I like that. It's like you're a radio professional or something. Yes, I am. Before you go on Facebook.com slash... The Marvelists. Yeah, go on there. Before you go on there, press the like button, maybe, I don't know. Go on Twitter and Instagram at... The Marvelists. Give us a like, a follow, or whatever, what have you even. Also, individually on social media, I'm on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Peter Melnick Podcaster, on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Melnick, and there's only one place on the whole worldwide interwebs, you can find E. Wilson. That is Instagram at Eddie9193. It's gonna be an episode. It sure it sure is. You can also find us on a wide variety of streaming platforms available for all iOS and Android devices, and these include SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, Spotify you got an RSS feed, those apps will wrangle them up for you and give them to you. And if he has and to repeat that, just rewind this episode yeah, a bit. The gum you like is coming back in style. Anyway, you can, it's a Twin Peaks reference, Eddie. Jeez. It's, it's 1990. Come on. Pass. But anyway, you can also find us on iTunes. Rate, review, subscribe. F- keep it five star. And remember, Eddie. No. Much like the ice cream machine at McDonald's, four stars or below just does not work. Can't mute me that time. Oh, I could have. <laughs> I know I you could have. I could mutant you, too. And also, Eddie, be sure to go to patreon.com slash themarvelists, drop a couple bucks towards this show, and show your support for as little as $3 or as high as 5 technically 8 if you know those two spots are filled up. But when you sign up for Patreon with the $5 tier, you're able to get... The access to our Patreon-exclusive show, The Fantastic Voyage, where we cover all 102 issues. One on at the a Stan- time. Yeah, exactly. One at a time of the Stan Lee and Jack Kirby Fantastic Four. Run. And also, if you go $3, you get early access to episodes of the regular show. So this main feed, you can listen to 6 to 12 hours or even a full day early. That's cool. And I'm
0: I'm building now, I didn't tell you, some interviews as well. The cosplay connection feature that I periodically
2: do. Mm I'm going to try and get some more in there. Awesome. So, like I said, patreon.com slash themarvelists. And, yeah. Now, Eddie, on the other end of the tin cannon string, we are joined with a special guest. Yet again, a voice of my childhood. Eddie, I would like you to do the honors. Are you kidding me?
0: Yes. Your childhood? My introduction?
1: I
2: want you to, I think.
0: You, uh, you, from you. the X Men animated series, in, da, the, da, 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 in da. the voice of Oh My Stars and Garters, Beast, it's Mr. George Buza. George, thank you. Hello there. Nice to talk to you. Thank you so much, and hopefully we're we're clear up in uh, Canada.
2: Oh yeah. Now, obviously, this episode is uh, recorded a couple days removed from the sad news of the passing of one of your uh, co-stars in the X Men animated series. Norm Spencer, the voice of Cyclops. Yes. And we'd be remiss to, you know, not bring him up. Any particular memories of working alongside him on the series? He
1: was one of the nicest guys in the world. Uh Norm and I had known each other for decades. We did a lot of other voice work together and a lot of other cartoons. And he was a lot of fun in the studio. He used to be the source of a lot of the laughs. And he was always a very happy go lucky guy. Then I kept running into him at all other uh, voiceover auditions, and we lived not far from each other, so I was very sad to hear of his passing.
0: Well, if you can recall, George, what other kind of work or shows did you both uh, collaborate on?
1: Well, most of it uh, was a commercial. Like, we did so many cartoons up here in Canada that, uh, and still do that uh, you can't even remember the ones you'd show up, and you'd be, oh, there you are, and there you are, and uh, you'd move on to the next one. X Men was the longest running uh, project that Norm and I worked together on, but I'm sure that we did a lot of other stuff to her. We were just guests and uh, passing characters and other series. Well, that's a great. A lot of commercials as well.
0: Sure, and that's a great credit to to both yours, um, uh, enduring longevity, call it what you will, because from what I've heard, you know, voice work can be spotty, sporadic. Long slumps, all that kind of stuff. So to have a track oh, record... acting in
2: acting, uh, that's
1: the name of the biz.
2: And one of the things about, you know, the lasting impact of these characters, you know, yourself and also Norm with the characters of Beast and Cyclops, you guys are synonymous with being the voices of, you know, not just the childhood of people like myself, but being the voices of the characters when we pick up a comic book page and read them. And, you know, I'll read Cyclops's voice in Norm's. I'll read Beast's voice in yours. And there's just something about the impact of these roles that you guys played. And when, you know, you're doing the convention circuit now, what is it like when you hear fans like myself say that to you?
1: Well, the first time it was very novel, because all through the course of doing the series, we were never really told how much of an impact it had or how successful it was, uh, which in part is because they really don't want actors to get a swelled head. Mm-hmm. So they'll keep a lot of that information uh, under the table. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're doing okay. And as long as you get renewed for the next year, you won't ask for anything more. you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, a lot of actors have ruined their own possibilities for future seasons by asking for too much. Mm -hmm. They see they're on a very big hit series, and then all of a sudden, ah, my contract seems a little bit lean. Perhaps that I should ask for something more. And then they have a mass shooting like on uh, Dynasty, and whoever's contract was up, uh, if you don't, (laughs) if you don't toe the line, you're dead. (laughs) If you do toe the line, oh, miraculously you survived the shooting. And in this case, everybody exceeded, and it was, turned out to be a dream sequence. And that's the true story of why uh, they and, and in Who Shot J.R.? You know, with a lot of these cases, uh, when people ask for too much, they, uh, they end up getting written out of a series.
2: And there's, there's, again, there's just something about your portrayal of the character that, you know, your, your version of Beast is so astute. He's so scholarly, and...
1: Well, it was written that way. I mean, part of being an actor is you be, you're able to read the lines and interpret what the character should sound like and be like through the words that the authors give you.
2: And you knocked that out. <laughs> Good so, Lord. Well,
1: th- th- thank you very much. But, you know, this is our job. And if it weren't for the words that we were given to say, you really can't make uh, you know, a silk purse out of a sow's ear.
0: Ooh, that's I, a great one. I like yeah. that one. Well, it's also too when you're given the script, and uh, it's nothing, George, that you don't know. But maybe Peter isn't quite. Aware, I guess so if he's read scripts, kind of thing. I, that you know, it's in parentheses. Read it in this kind of voice, or if
2: it's typed in boldface or whatever. One day I'll write a script, Eddie. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, you've got to you've got to find something that will uh, bring the characters' features to life. And you want it to be something that people will believe and realistic. And, uh, you know, Beast was the kind of guy that would like to use his intellect and his uh, powers of persuasion over uh, violence. And, and In contrast to Wolverine, who was ready at the drop of a hat to go and pop out his claws and turn somebody into sliced
2: meat. <laughs> And your character was behind uh, prison bars for, like, most of the first season, which is, like, you wouldn't expect that. And, you know, you eventually... quite
1: frankly, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This was something that uh, I was told much later on when we started doing the, the circuit, which was just last year, that originally Beast wasn't going to be in the regular cast and that he was going to be a character that eventually just kind of faded off. But, uh... Again, thanks to, you know, what the writers found and the collaboration of uh, the voice and the performance and the words and everything, they decided that uh, they were going to bring Beast into the, the fold and make him a regular character. But it took most of a season of being in jail to do that, which also presented a very strong point for his character, that he wanted, uh, as the protesters today want, is justice for the, the people who were different. Right. And he had to prove a point. I mean, the fact that he was able to bend the bars open so that all of his friends could escape, and then he closed the bars back up and said, no, I have to go to court and make my point.
2: It's something so special about that kind of character. And another thing about the character of Beast that I really enjoy with your portrayal is, you know, with the line reads, there's oh so many unique expressions that the character of Hank Beast McCoy drops on the audience. Were there any particular that, you know, you heard that you're just like, Wow, this is really something. I like this one.
1: Well, there were a lot of uh quotes from all the way from famous to obscure poets and some that were just made up <laughs> that he would apply to the uh circumstances whenever he's about to go into battle or something, you come up with some sort of quotation from a classic. I mean those were always but they searched those on purpose. That was again, the uh Kudos to the writers for being able to come up with that. But, you know, like, uh, what was that uh, introduction when you said uh, you had that famous expression again? Oh, my I stars mean, and garters. All my stars and garters. I mean, that was one of them. So there's a lot of uh, these little things that they'd come up with that really added to the character and make him, make him sort of quaint, a quaint blue giant.
0: Yeah, he's got the mixture of being blue and being brainy. So, yeah, when you compare it and contrast it there to Wolverine, I get that right away. He's going to use his his brute force as a last resort, I would say, uh, but otherwise yeah. try to rationalize and logically go through the situation, whatever it might be. And, and so it's, in a way, maybe the best of both worlds and the way this character was portrayed. Um, speaking of a little uh, part or that kind of thing, if I have the information right and maybe... You can refresh my and other listeners' minds' memories about your small appearance that you made in the X-Men movie as a trucker.
1: Yeah, that was a real bonus. Uh, I went in for the audition, as a lot of other Canadian actors did, to fill in those smaller parts that uh, are scattered throughout the film. And uh, the person who was doing the stunt coordinating uh, was an old acquaintance of mine, and he mentioned to uh, Brian Singer that I was the voice of Beast in uh, in the cartoon series. And uh, basically, he, Brian gave me the part on the spot. And He said, you know, without your series, we would not be making this movie today. So mm-hmm. that was a, a very nice pat on the back coming sure. from the director of the film.
2: It's yeah. absolutely true. You know, you look at the uh, 1992 X-Men animated series, and then you look at the, the I think, the year before, like the explosion of the X-Men comics at the time with the Jim Lee art. The 90s were an amazing time, an uncanny time even, to be or an astonishing, I'll keep going with the other adjectives, uh for the you know to be an X-Men fan. And again, it must be, you know, a great feeling to hear from fans such as myself that t- over 25 years later, almost 30 years to this point now, the impact that the series has had as well as the long-lasting appeal of your interpretations of the series.
1: Well, see, this is, this is the most rewarding part about going to the uh, Comic-Cons, is all the people that come up to us and tell us how much our performance or our show meant to them in, a, in their time of crises or you know, need, and how the first thing that they would do after school would be run home and turn on the TV so that they could catch the latest episode of X-Men or Saturday morning, tune in. And this is something that you never... Like when you're an actor on stage, you get applause immediately if you've done a good job so that you get that kind of gratification immediately. When you're doing something this remote from the audience, you you don't get that. And when you're walking down the street and you're a voice actor, people don't know who you are. You're know, you just another schmo. And uh, at these Comic-Cons, you actually get that kind of reward that actors on stage get immediately when the people come up and tell you how much the show meant to them, how much your performance meant to them, some of them will actually come dressed up and made up like you. And, you know, for somebody coming in to do Beast, that's a, that's a blue paint job. So, and there's a lot of people that come into the cons in full Beast regalia, <laughs> blue paint and all, and you go, wow, you know, I'm really moved that you guys went through this much trouble.
2: And I've had conversations with people about those versions of the costumes, you know, They're the costumes designed by the legendary comic artist Jim Lee, but let's be honest, it's the X-Men animated portrayal that made those costumes last so long. You know, like, I had a conversation with a friend who promotes conventions in the Tri-State area, and, you know, I said, the reason you see those costumes is not because of Jim. As much as I love Jim's art, it's the animated series, and every person that I've seen, you know dressed in those costumes, they're doing it because of the TV show. They're huge fans of the TV show. and
1: Well, since this pandemic, uh, a lot of the cons have gone virtual. Yeah. And we just did one for Wizard World where the first person who had a chat with me, they turn on the Zoom and there's this guy in full beast regalia. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I went, wow, this guy even went through the trouble for you know, a five-minute chat on the internet to take a day to paint himself blue, and I was really blown away.
2: Wow. Blown away,
1: <laughs> I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, blewed away. <laughs>
2: That's good. That's good. I'll give you that. And like I, again, it's it's really cool to be able to see the impact that these portrayals have had. And you look at all like the different storylines that were done in the X Men animated series. Were there any particulars that you know grabbed your attention? You were like. Wow, this is really, and especially as a children's Saturday morning cartoon.
1: Yeah. I have somebody beeping in on my line that I'm trying to make go away. <laughs> oh. and, it, and it looks to be... Me? No, no. The, the beeper is, I have this call waiting thing. We are inundated by duct cleaning companies. We get like half a dozen calls a day. People want to come and clean our air ducts.
0: Oh, September must be Duck Cleaning Month. in, it's, in No, in, it's every
1: single day of the year. They, this is the big... You put yourself on a no-call list, and all you get is air duct cleaners because they're all from different continents that are calling you. Oh. So there's no way to put an end to it.
2: So I'm going to make two observations right now. First off, Eddie, you could have made the duct season joke. You didn't make that joke, and oh, I'm really disappointed. because I have much
1: more fun with them than that, believe me. It's wabbit season. Believe me. I said, no, no ducks here, just goose. You come and clean my goose? See? <laughs> Then <laughs> they hang up,
2: and second, I have to tell you this, George your again, your voice is synonymous with my childhood, but somehow you manage to make talking about ducts, cleaning, and stuff like that into something engaging and informative <laughs> <laughs> that is a talent, so congratulations on oh, that. Thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let me go back if I can, George. just place us in the if you can in the X men movie. Uh, who's around in that scene where you're the trucker? What are the characters and what part of the movie? Well, there was you...
1: Wolverine, and I actually had a little interaction with him where he popped out his claws for me, and I had to back away. So I got to meet uh, Wolverine, Hugh, and uh, Anna Paquin is the girl who played Rogue. or uh, Yeah, Rogue. Yep. And I delivered her to the arena. So those were two of the characters. The rest were all Canadian actors that I had known for years and years and years. uh that were in that scene, but the two of them were Hugh Jackman and Anna Paquin.
0: Okay, for yourself, George, how, if you recall, how did it come to be that you decided you said I want to do voice work? How did that start happen for you, and how old were you at the time?
1: Well, I, the first thing I did, the first I was in a stage actor for years before I got into TV and film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I did a bunch of Shakespeare and uh, back in. 1976 or (laughs) 7, I was doing a play, and there was a guy who did some voiceovers and said, you know, I know this person who does uh, radio commercials. Uh, Come and do an audition, and maybe we can get some work for you. So this is the first voice job that I got. And then through these uh, casting people, I eventually got to read for uh, other cartoon series, And in the early 80s, I was doing uh, the voice of uh, Chief Chirpa on uh, uh, the Land of the Ewoks (laughs) spinoff from Star Wars, which was another huge, monumental job. Absolutely. You know, Star Wars was one of those iconic movies that uh, you walked the wrong way out of the theater when you came out because you were in such a state of awe. And then to be handed a script and saying, okay, you're going to read for one of the Ewoks. Next thing you know... You're playing a character from Star Wars, which is a pretty big thing. It was like when I read for X-Men. Uh, they called it Project X so that people wouldn't know what, what it was. But I, I read the script, and I said, well, Project X, why would you call it Project X? Because this is obviously the X-Men. <laughs> uh, because I had read X-Men comic books when I was a kid. Were there- I was 10 years old when the first X-Men comic book came out.
0: And you were right there when they came out? I mean, yeah, getting yeah, it? I was, wow
1: I used to read DC Comics. I, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, edited, edited. The Distinguished uh, uh, Competition? Of, no, we're good. <laughs> but <laughs> I was a Superman fan. You know, the Superman TV series was on the air, and uh, I had a cape, and I wanted to be able to fly. So as a kid, you're envisioning yourself as all these superheroes. And then when X-Men came out, of course, I had to read those. And then... Uh, Like, 35 years down the line, I get handed a script to be the voice of an X-Men. So this was like one of those childhood dreams that came true. Like, like I'm getting goosebumps right now thinking about the fact that, you know, as a kid I used to look up to the X-Men, and then all of a sudden I'm handed the opportunity to be one of the X-Men. For real. (laughs) So that was one of the most exciting things.
2: So now, fairly recently, we had uh, Christopher Daniel Barnes, the voice of Spider-Man from Spider-Man the Animated Series, which was a show around the same time as yours. And That's right. he got to also play a role in a Disney movie, playing the role of Prince Adam, I believe, in uh, The Little Mermaid. So yeah. he's done Marvel, he's done Disney, he hasn't done Star Wars. Now you, you've done Marvel, you've done Star Wars, you have not done Disney.
1: I have done Disney lots of ooh!
2: so you beat Christopher you beat (laughs) Spider-Man
1: I did a TV series for Disney called Honey I Shrunk the Kids Mm -hmm. where I was the next door neighbor I never Peter Scalari played the uh, scientist this was a series that went for three years
2: I haven't watched that show in so long I love that show (laughs)
1: It wasn't. A, it was a TV show. This wasn't the movie.
2: Yeah. No. I know. I know the uh, the well, the live action series from the uh, mid 90s. I loved that one.
1: Yeah. Well, this was what, the one I did. I was on it for two years, and I was the guy who lived next door, chief of police of the town, and every one of his experiments that went south would blow up in my face, and they well, dressed me up in ridiculous costumes. I've also done miniseries for Disney. Uh, so. And a lot of the things that they've come up here to do, I've they've taken part in. And now Disney owns X Men.
2: But I love that you have you have the trifecta. Then you you the Disney trifecta: a Disney thing, yes, a yes. Marvel thing, and a Star Wars thing. Take that, Christopher Daniel Barnes. Even though we love you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I did Spider Man. Oh.
2: <laughs> Ooh. We had a
1: crossover, <laughs> a couple of crossover episodes. So we never actually met because we recorded ours in Toronto. And he was recording down in L.A.
2: And that's, that's one of the things. He had mentioned to us during the uh, episode that they would do it more like, you know, old school radio style, you know, like a, a radio show, like a Jack Benny program or something like that. And all the guys would be in the same booth doing the uh, yeah, recording. Yeah, this video. was
1: how we did it in the beginning, but it takes too long to do that because back then they didn't have the technology they do today. So every time there would be uh, another person to speak, you'd have to shut off all the other microphones and activate only the person who's about to speak, because there was so much feed that other mics would pick up the dialogue of a person who was speaking on the other end of the room. So it took too long to do that. And after the first season, uh, we went to do uh, individual records so that it would go much faster. But so, the first year, we did it just like radio drama.
0: Yeah. So if I recall what you said then back there before, George, you started with... Stage acting, and somebody yeah. thought you and had then got the chops? I started doing
1: uh, some voice work, and then I got some film work and some TV work. Uh, because as an actor, you don't just do one thing. No. Uh, in theater, they would call somebody who can sing, act, and dance a triple threat. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be a well rounded actor, you have to be able to do stage and sing and dance and do theater and then do TV, film, voice work. And uh, that's what will keep you going for the next 50 years of your career.
0: Well, that sounds like a um, Bing Crosby Danny Kaye kind of thing, a triple threat.
1: <laughs> yeah, except I was always a choreograph choreographer's nightmare. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do we not want to go there? <laughs> I was light on my feet but not always accurate in the moves.
2: Okay. Now you mentioned that you were a X-Men fan growing up as a child. Were there any particular mutants that you were a fan of?
1: Well, Wolverine, of course. <laughs> You know, this is what every kid would envision himself as. And especially if you had been somebody who uh, experienced bullying, you know, Wolverine was your choice. Because Wolverine had those claws and he could turn anybody into salami. And as a kid who got bullied, you know, that was an oft- oftentimes uh, favorite fantasy, turning the people that uh, bullied you into salami. <laughs>
2: I got to say though it must be, have been one of the coolest things to be able to be in the X-Men movie, the very first X-Men movie and you're on screen sharing the, you know, the screen with your favorite x men
1: It was it was very thrilling.
0: Is there any other are there any other characters or roles that you if you had your way you'd want to go after, pursue or be
1: At my age now, no. <laughs> At I'm some quite point did you to yeah. kind of rest on my laurels and when uh, it's available to go and be safe at Comic-Cons again to do those and meet the fans. But the prospect of Sen is spending uh, 16 hours a day on a movie set and uh, sweating in the hot sun or freezing your you hoo off in uh, sub-zero temperatures. You know, been there, done that. I've got 50 years under my belt now.
2: You know, you and, mentioned uh, the uh, convention scene. And... I
1: love them. To me, that was like the payoff. Sure. You know, I sweated my uh, guts out for 50 years doing TV and everything like that. and Now, never had a real chance to meet the fans, and now this is it. You know, you sit there, and you meet these people, and you get the chance to, to talk to them, and they tell you what it meant to watch your show. And it's so rewarding, and you meet such nice people. And I still have uh, people that I've met at the conventions that I'm in touch with. We had some friends that we met uh that live in Louisiana, and we still keep in touch. And One of the first things I did when the storm hit was call down there and find out if they were okay, and luckily they were just east of the storm, so they survived it. But there are some long-term relationships that you can make by meeting all these wonderful people from all over, and it's that's one of the, the really rewarding things about them.
0: Yeah, and it's it's mutually rewarding, and so it's good to hear... That you embrace the con aspect of it and and do that. Sit at your table, you know, get there, you know, whatever time to get all set up. Be there the whole time. Hopefully, that the con is in effect one day, a whole weekend, that kind of thing.
1: Well, oh, I don't it, even like to take breaks.
0: Yeah, right. Okay.
1: But, you know, if I were if I weren't an old man with an old man bladder, I probably <laughs> wouldn't. But
0: <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, with with the Characters such as yourself, meaning a voiceover character actor, people are not going to know who you are by looking at you, and then maybe when you. Well, that's not
1: true because a lot do. I did a lot of movies too.
0: Okay, what I take that Eddie. (laughs) What what I'm getting at is, you know, it just reminded me as you're speaking about being at the cons and loving and interacting with the fans and the, the appreciation, the feedback, and so on, is that if you're doing voice work exclusively, if you're only seen as a cartoon figure, caricature. And yes, you're getting pictures taken, you're signing something or whatever. Eddie, cartoons aren't real. (laughs) Wouldn't it be kind of cool if, and don't tell me the technology isn't there or the uh, speediness of it, that you could possibly give, sell, whatever, a little five or ten second audio clip to the fan in lieu of an autograph or as another medium form. Oh, yeah, we do. You do that as well. See, I've been missing this. (laughs) Holy cow, i got to put a list together.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's people that come up and want you to do their answering machine.
2: There you go. (laughs) Right. And how did the convention scene for yourself get started? Like, who was the one that put you in touch with the promoters and whatnot to get everything started?
1: Well, last year, uh, actually the year, two years before, uh, Eric Lee Wald and his wife, Julia, were writing a book. They were the originators of the TV series. So they were writing a book on the making of X-Men.
2: Previously on X-Men.
1: Previously on X-Men. So they got in touch with everybody who was in the cast and did interviews and uh, put together this fabulous book. And then they sent us a copy. And in their travels, because they had already started doing Comic-Cons, selling their book and uh, doing the scene of the uh, creators of X-Men, they ran into these uh, people who would gather the uh, talent for comic cons and they said wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to have an x-men reunion so they got in touch with uh, several of us that were available and uh, interested in traveling to come and do an x-men reunion down in new Braunfels, texas and it was the first time that we'd ever met julia and uh, eric because they never came up while we were doing the series so we went down there, and it was like one of the most rewarding experiences that we'd ever had, that all these fans come up, as I was saying, and tell you what you meant to them. And then uh, through that con, uh, we met some more people who uh, invited us to one in Tennessee. And again, the same thing repeated itself. And you get to like this, you know, because, well, part of being an actor is you love to have your ego stroked, right? Yes. <laughs> And uh, you're getting it, you know. There's all these people that are dressing up like you and coming to meet you and shake your hand and uh, give you praise. You know, what could be better than that?
0: I have to back up and say that, you know what, sure, you give, you're give you doing recordings for answering machines, but it would be on, like, uh, many other celebrities that are at these things. You got your picture at a price for that. And a, and here, a, a, a Five second clip, this much, you know, so it would be on a price list type of thing. Eddie, I think they do have those. I've never seen one. That's why I'm saying, <laughs> wouldn't it be a cool idea? And it dawned on me, this would be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My last yeah, well, question that I have for you now, George, is what are you doing with yourself these days?
1: Well, kind of hold up in uh, lockdown. Uh, I do the grocery shopping, I cook dinner, I have 10 grandchildren. Soon to have 11.
2: Wow. Congratulations.
1: So my backyard has now been turned into a full-scale playground. We have all the amenities for the kids because my middle daughter and her family live downstairs with us. So we've got uh, a 2-year-old, a 9-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 17-year-old. And soon, I think early next month, uh, we're going to have a newborn. So the backyard is always full of life, and they have two dogs. And I do the occasional gig now. And last year I did a uh, an episode of uh, a new Netflix series called Ginny in Georgia, which is going to come out this year, I think. We just did the post-production on it. So I'm still keeping somewhat active.
2: I know uh, you guys were supposed to be doing uh, East Coast Comic Con this past year at a uh... Sea Caucus, New Jersey at the Meadowlands Expo. Yeah. Studio.
1: Yeah. That would have been at the peak of the. I don't but, know how long it's going to take before it's safe to do these again.
2: Mm-hmm. The funniest thing, though, was uh, that show. We were supposed to do a panel. Uh, it was going to be me hosting with all of you guys on stage. And I, it was never announced. Like, it never got official. But we were also going to have uh, Chris Potter in the voice of uh, Jubilee as well. Ah. Uh, and, yeah. And now. Well, uh, Chris
1: had already joined us. He was doing. Uh, he did Wizard World with us.
2: It's it's such a weird time to be able to, you know, be a fan of all this stuff. And, like, now as a result, you know, a lot of people are holed up. You know, they're at home watching Netflix. They're watching Amazon Prime. But, of course, they're watching Disney Plus. And yeah. there's a massive revitalization as well yeah. with the characters being able to stream the series, you know. and Well, it's
1: a very timely series.
2: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Even more so than when we did it.
2: And there's just so much about it that, you know, again, still holds up today, you know. And a lot of people, of course, you know, you probably get this question asked all the time, but we'll ask it here. If it ever does come to fruition, because there's always rumor and innuendo going around. If a revamp of X-Men, the animated series comes along or a continuation, a fabled season six, would you be on board?
1: Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, we started that rumor. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> boy, George. And Larry. You
1: know, not, not like, you know, directly, but where that rumor came from was uh, Eric and Julia down in L.A. would have been very keen on doing another season and writing and animating another year, and they had a, a close friend who had just been hired at Disney. So he was going to pitch this idea to them, which then blossomed into this Uh, uh, pan-internet rumor that, uh, well, maybe if there's enough people that make noise about it, maybe it'll happen. You know, fan signatures have brought Dead Series back to life, and if they see enough uh, response, you know, maybe it would happen. So we were responsible for propagating a lot of that rumor.
2: And we thank you, by the way.
1: But it would be a lovely thing if it happened. Sure. Because that's one of the the mediums that you can actually do in your old age without spending 16 hours on a movie set and being turned into hamburger.
0: That's exactly right. (laughs) Have you found, too, though, George, um, with the different voice roles that you've played, that as your age has changed, that you've become more eligible or ineligible to do certain character voices?
1: Well, I'm playing more grandpas. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other series that I did that... uh, has been playing forever has been this little the one for little tiny kids called franny's feet where this old shoemaker has a granddaughter that uh, he looks after and when a pair of shoes that are unusual come into the grandpa's shoemaking shop she puts her feet in them and then becomes the person or travels to the area where the person came from so like mucklucks will come in and all of a sudden she'll go up and live with the inuit and experience huh. make friends with a little inuit child and experience what it's like to be there and live in their climate and see the animals that live there other times it'll be sandals from africa and she'll wander off in her mind to uh but i'm playing that's a grandpa role yep. and i do more of those a lot of grandpas i was grandpa on Beyblade, so th- those are always good as long but as they... in voiceovers and commercials and things you know it's really hard to be old they consider 40 as being old. In voice work? Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. And in movies, just like uh, in any other business, it's driven by the demographics. Sure. My generation of boomers is not the ones that have tons of expendable income, so they're they're gearing more toward uh, the people who are in uh, top form right now, you know, the youngsters.
0: That kind of surprised me, saying the age of 40 with voice work is, is like, past prime, because, I mean, that sounded like it was in a sports career that it's it's time to pack it in.
1: Well, it's such a crowded business now. And again, they're, they're the demographic that most commercials are being aimed at, unless you're selling uh, incontinence pads or uh, <laughs> medicine. Remortgaging. Remortgaging. Yeah. Old folks <laughs> homes. Yep. You know, they'll always hire the oldsters for that. <laughs> but generally for a... cars and things like that, they're all people in their 30s and 40s that are being targeted.
2: Incontinence, is that like North America and South... Of, I wish it
0: were that simple.
2: <laughs>
1: yes, yeah, As opposed to
0: outcontinence. As right. opposed
1: to real incontinence. Which, <laughs> <laughs> well, you just wait, young whippersnapper. <laughs> yeah, thank you.
0: <laughs> you. Can't be me all the time, George. Thank you for saying that. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> so now, before we wrap this episode up, one thing that, you know, it's, it's interesting times... I want to end this on a happier note. When conventions were a thing, which I always hate having to say, but we have to say them. What were some of your favorite memories so far and like favorite fan experience you got to have as a result of that?
1: Well, there would have been at least one major one at every single show I've been at. (laughs) Uh, When I was over in uh, England, we did a show in Wales. A girl had traveled all the way over from Amsterdam, which going a couple of states over in the States. But still, it was a major trek to come and see us. And she brought this entire package. She is in a, this was for when I did the series The Adventures of Sinbad. And I played Sinbad's older brother. And she and her girlfriends were in this group of uh, play actors that would film little scenes and vignettes that were taken from the series and play the parts that, uh they had seen and they put together all these little scenes and wrote little notes and brought all kinds of goodies from uh the Netherlands and it gave me this lovely box like a large box of all kinds of trinkets and gifts and and notes and uh memory sticks with uh scenes on them you know that really blew me away and then to uh the Los Angeles show when we did our panel, usually we'd uh, go into a, a room where there'd maybe, uh, you know, 20, 30 people, at best, maybe 150 people at a larger show. But in LA, they put us up on the main stage and there were over 3,000 people at our panel. <laughs> so that, again, was a mind blower.
2: You guys deserve it.
1: And uh, anytime somebody shows up like Beast, that always touches me. Because I know I I did a series called Maniac Mansion where I played a mutated four-year-old child. Uh, I got into my dad's chamber, and uh, my uncle chased in there after me. The door closed. He turned into a fly, and I turned into a giant. So I got to play a four-year-old kid. At the same time, I was doing X-Men. And this was Eugene Levy and uh, Joe Flaherty they were the creators of this series and it was under George Lucas's auspices because it was the video game the video game and it was about this mad scientist that you did experiments on his kids <laughs> wow
2: <laughs> i did not expect today to hear a reference to maniac mansion that is something again i did not expect whatsoever so thank <laughs> you for that
1: well it was uh, it ran at the same time as uh, x-men did and there were times i was shooting uh, right around the corner from where we were doing the X-Men records, and I would finish shooting or have a gap of a couple of hours and in full four-year-old regalia, hop on my motorcycle, ride, drive over to the uh, voiceover studio, do an episode of X-Men, then hop back on the bike and finish shooting on Maniac Mansion. Wow. <laughs> and that was kind of cool, being able to wear four-year-old clothes on a bike. <laughs>
0: But the sizing of the clothes—I mean,
2: Jesus.
1: Well, they're all—I still have a lot of them. They were overalls, kids' overalls with little animals on them, and
2: Tremendous. t-shirts, and
1: jackets, and all kinds of neat stuff.
2: George, it was an absolute pleasure speaking with you,
1: and it was a pleasure going through memory lane.
2: Absolutely. Before we go, how can people get a hold of you on social media or just in well, general? Well,
1: I, I, I listened to your intro, and you were. In, Quoting Facebook and Backbook and all these I said, well, I remember I was only in phone book yeah, so <laughs> I'm not on any book, I'm not on anything on the internet, I don't have Twitter, I don't have any of that stuff. I'm lucky if I can send an email
2: you you and uh Chris Potter were the two hard gets for us to get for this program, so we...
1: you didn't look in the phone book
2: <laughs> <laughs> see we don't have
0: that edition, I suppose, <laughs> if they're not printing it here. Oh, man. See that, ladies and gentlemen, George Buza, <laughs> X-Men animated series beast, mutant and proud. You betcha.
2: For The Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick.
1: And I'm George Buza,
0: And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior. It's Obsessed with Marvel with our guest, Beast, George Buza. Thank you. All right, here we go. Let's see how bad we can look. Collectively. Question number sixteen ninety five reads: Well, I showered, by the way, Eddie. Well, he's, uh, it's a debatable thing. <gasps> where did Captain Omen and his infra worlders dwell? Wherever they dwelled. I guess so. Where did Captain Omen and his infra worlders dwell? Oh boy. Choices They're are all. in the. <laughs> where else? In the microverse. In an alternate dimension. In a world-sized spaceship. In a world. <laughs> or in an immense submarine. So what you're getting is they all live in An alternate
1: a... dimension.
0: You're going with an alternate dimension. Okay, the other choices again. In the microverse, in a world-sized spaceship, or in an immense submarine. Captain Omen and his infra-worlders. where they dwell? Um, yeah, we're going to go the same. We're going to go with the guest choice, and that was in an alternate dimension. Letter B. Let's try it. No, it's saying the answer in world. is in an immense
2: submarine. So what you're getting at is they all lived yeah, in Yeah, I was a... thinking
1: yellow submarine. That's where I'd like to be, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey. <laughs> I... Peter, you yeah. tried twice. You still couldn't. I had too many days in the yellow submarine when I was young, so...
0: Three. <laughs> Ooh, that's a metaphor. Um, and we're talking yellow, not blue this time. Okay, let's go down blue to... barrels. <laughs> All right, 393, and the question is, under which circumstances did Spider-Man meet President Barack Obama? Is it when a Skrull impersonated Mr. Obama in Secret Invasion?
2: That when, happened around the same time.
0: Is it when the chameleon impersonated Mr. Obama on Inauguration Day? Is it when the Sons of the Serpent disrupted an Obama for President rally? No. Or when President
2: Obama awarded a medal to Spider-Man? Its choice B. be... 'Cause this was around the uh when he was president. Well this is
1: way beyond my time.
2: Yeah, it's uh <laughs> what year would it have been 2008. two
1: thousand eight. know, you'd have to read like 28? comic books when you were seventy then.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you were younger then, come on, I know. Uh, I looked that
1: part up. All right, so I we're going to. feel gonna, so much older now.
0: When Because of this question, when the chameleon impersonated Mr. Obama on Inauguration Day?
2: Yeah. The, yeah uh, he okay, was the I'll Obama. go with that.
0: Now, <laughs> it was just just for the record, it was just that one issue, I believe, right? That President Barack Obama was, was in Spider Man? Okay, so all this stuff happened in that one particular. Okay. All right, so let's just try <laughs> it's letter B. At least I missed it. And, yeah, and I have, uh, I think, the second printing of that. Let's go. Letter B. That is
2: correct. Very good, chameleon. Although it would I would have also guessed the first one because you said Secret Invasion. Scroll yeah. secret. Yeah, you were saying That you know. is two No, it's not. No, it is 2008 because that's when two. Deadpool came back. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you're bringing Deadpool By the way, in this now too? By the way, what? George, I have to ask with uh if the X-Men do come back, I realize we're going right back into questioning for an interview, <laughs> but That's all right. Deadpool, would you ever want to see your character interact with him? Interact with who? Deadpool. Sure. That's something I've always wanted to see, and it's never happened. I've never seen it. Mm-hmm. It would be Why so. Not? It would be so... Why not? The elegance and the intellect of Beast interacting with the...
1: The profanity of Deadpool.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. The uncouthness. Yes. I want it. Disney, make it, it
1: happen. It would be very, very, very funny.
2: It would have no choice but
0: to be. <laughs> sure. All right, question 277. Armbar.
1: Imagine the quotes you could come up with. Oh, my yeah. God, oh,
0: right? We're starting them as soon as we get off the th- microphone here, I think. Whom did the Fantastic Four battle in the 100th issue of their original
2: series? Back to 1970. <laughs> well, Eddie, we will, we will both find out in, I oh, want to say, 98 months. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> on on the, Fantastic Voyage. On Fantastic Voyage. All right. So on Patreon.com. Well, slash we're going to spoil
0: alert it now, then. Doctor Doom, all of their old adversaries. That seems likely. Android replicas of themselves. That seems or dumb. Or android replicas of their old adversaries. Ooh, that's a good idea.
1: Uh, I'll go with the last one. Yeah. Android same.
0: replicas of their old adversaries. Well, okay, I'm on for. I'm in for the ride. Letter D. That is
2: correct. Hey. And be sure wow. to still sign up that month for Patreon.com/slash/TheMarvelous to be able to listen to that episode whenever it comes out.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that's three. We're two for three. Do we try four and call it a day? All right, all right. For all the marbles, two zero. Who plays with marbles?
1: One. Who plays? I with did jumping. See? I Thank did too. You. I had Simpsons marbles and
0: also the the jacks and the ball. Yeah,
1: right. No, I never played jacks and balls, but okay. I played marbles but and they, I still have all mine.
0: Say good deal. <laughs> and they were around at the same time. So we're. Uh, how about the barrel full of monkeys? I had that.
1: I got those, too.
0: And not the musical group, either. But, you know, they're good hey, stuff. Hey, were. Hey, hey, were. They were. Mm-hmm. Two, zero, one, one. Here we are in 2011. Who or what? It's 2012. Or 2020. <laughs> narrator, what year is this? All right. Who or what is Vlad Tepes? Is it Dracula's father? Mr. Tepes. <laughs> is it the first two parts of Dracula's full name? Is it Dracula's true name? Or is it a historical monarch mistaken for Dracula?
1: It's uh, Dracula's true name. Dracula's
0: true name. I'm going to go with that one as well. Okay, because otherwise it'd be the other name would be Vlad the Impaler, but that's a tough last name. So let's nickname. Yeah, right. That's that's. Uh, <laughs> let's go with letter C. No, I'm agreeing there. Okay, no, it's not Dracula's true name. The answer is the first two parts of Dracula's full name. Ah, Vlad Tepes Dracula. That's right. That's the that's the true answer.
1: Mm. Yeah. Wow, that bites. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is the first two names.
0: And there we go. All right. And there we went. (laughs)
1: We're out.